my general take is it was a very big blow to Gensler because politics runs on the perception of power. And when the courts come back and say this stuff, it is bad for him. And so it's possible yeah. that one of his Democrat commissioners flips on him. But like all they really have to do probably to maybe win or just drag it out for another 14 months is like write an actual reasoning for why they're not approving this. And like they're lawyers, they should be able to come up with something good. So let me give you the opposite take. Okay, let me give you the bullish take here. All right, welcome back to another episode of Web3 Builders. I'm Evan Van Ness. This is Will Foxley. Any astute watcher on YouTube, which is not that many of you, most of you are on the audio version, but if you are watching on YouTube, you may have noticed that Will has a different background every time, and I have a plain white wall behind me. You have like a jail cell. <laughs> With bad lighting, and yeah, I'm a great podcaster. But yours looks it's like a hotel room. Thing. Yes, yes. And if you are listening to this on YouTube, go subscribe on the RSS feed. That's, we're trying to make that our bread and butter. Maybe we'll be YouTubers one day. Uh, not sure we have like the faces for it, for uh, the I, thumbnails. Yeah. But, also, we're not scammy yeah. enough. And you got to lead into the scams for YouTube. <laughs> you kind of do. I also just think like we're, we're a little more lazy. And I just like the idea of speaking and not thinking about my background and my camera. I don't like it because YouTube owns owns your connection and you know they True. rug people all the time and frankly even andrew who is the editor for week in ethereum news the, th the thing I, the newsletter i published and uh, or i published and founded uh he's the editor and his he tweeted a couple hours ago that his open c account got locked and oh. for ofac reasons but he's australian <laughs> so i don't know what's man. he been he trading just gotta love it. He's not a trader. I mean, he buys a few JPEGs here and there. Like he really likes digital art, and he's a developer. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I have to think that at some point he gave, you know, like a couple bucks to the Gitcoin grant of Tornado Cash or something like that, and because of that, they uh, blocked him. That's that's the only thing I can possibly think. It is, of course, insane because he's always been on an Australian IP, and. Donating to Tornado Cash—that like, is insane. Years ago, that's pretty crazy. Well, I'm still angry. I mean, even after last week, I—I yeah. at one point this weekend, I had to like really try to chill out because I was like working myself up and extremely angry. But I don't know. Hopefully, the uh, justice system works, and you know that's going to be a decent chunk of today's episode. Yeah, we'll but, get to that with the Uniswap stuff in a little bit. But I'll, I'll explain this hotel background which you have. So. uh lovingly called out here yeah i've been in a hotel this week for sbc and the last episode i was in a we work in san francisco uh we was there for like the, the beginning part of the week there was like bass conference something like that uh don't know what it stands for but it was also at stanford <laughs> so this one is science of blockchain is at stanford so a lot of people just call it stanford blockchain conference it's been pretty good i did not schedule this well and i kind of jumped on a flight last minute so i had like a bunch of other work stuff to do, which is never great, but the talks have been good related to the tornado cash stuff. The one thing that's been interesting is I have been talking with people about tornado cash this week. That's come up a few times and it's interesting because I feel like people are kind of like whispering about it a little bit. They're like a little nervous about it, but there's also like a desired need to like talk about privacy on Ethereum more. Obviously like everyone's launching some sort of like Stark or ZK thing. So that's been a whole issue. There was one really interesting 
talk I listened to called uh, Derecho, which is an Ethereum privacy protocol someone's building, basically working around Tornado Cash and adding some more proving functions, I guess you could call it, for deposits. So if anyone's interested, go check out that. I thought that was one of the better talks I listened to this week. That paper, I think, came out at the beginning of this year. It's Derecho again, which I guess is a, a type of like crazy tornado that you find in North America on the front plains. Besides that, it's been, yeah, like a, a lot of scammy stuff. I saw some boarded yacht club guys talking at the conference uh, about Yuga and how great Yuga is at dodging the SEC. Um, that was Will is not a big JPEGer. On. I'm not a big JPEGer. Uh, unless they're the Pudgy Penguins, which I have a long history of endorsing, uh, though I do not own any. <laughs> that was one thing. I went to the Taproot Wizards event last night. That was very fun. Udi and Eric were dressed to the nines in hats and costumes. And how many people were there? The, not very many. Make maybe 50 at the max. And then it kind of dwindled down. But it was cool there to see. More like, of a Bitcoin presence yeah. at Stanford Blockchain, which has renamed itself to Science of Blockchain. And is not no, going to be a, at Stanford next year. Oh, it's not. It's yeah. going to be at Cornell Tech. See, the things I hear, even when I'm not at the conference. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, for listeners, did not go because it's too... What's the word you wanted to use for it? It's too much. California? No. Too much California. It's too... too, too uh, yeah, you know, I don't really go to anything that is not either like a developer-focused thing or a Ethereum-only conference, like, say, DevCon. Yeah. I generally find that anything that is quote air quotes crypto just to be too scammy for me like i went out to dinner with a friend of mine uh and it was a big group dinner last stanford blockchain so a year ago and i just i don't know i ended up at this big group dinner and a couple times and the people sitting next to me were you know people I thought were scammers or, you know, I don't know, maybe not exactly scammers, but it wasn't the people I wanted to spend the short spark of life that I have on this earth with, uh, you know, people that I just didn't think were doing anything like really of any real value. And so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I have some family situations, which means I'm not traveling as much anyway, but it's a, it's a weird conference because you've probably noticed this. It's very combination of cryptographers new L1s who are trying to raise a lot of the third group, people. The third yeah. group, which is VCs. So it's like the hardcore math people, the like the L1 bros, and then there's like v- VCs invest bros. <laughs> and it's it's kind of a strange, strange group. Yeah. Um, because they don't necessarily all fit together. And sometimes you'll see like little clusters out in the courtyard. I assume it's in the same place. So yeah, no, that's that's exactly how it is. Like I saw Aptos guys running around. Saw like a lot of different L ones, a lot, a few Cosmos people running around. A lot of L two stuff, some zk stuff, but a lot of VCs, mostly VCs, and they're all people my age or maybe even a little bit younger writing checks for these L ones. I'm like, I don't even know how you did like any due diligence on this. Like, I hate to say it, it doesn't make sense, uh, and everyone seems to have a checkbook, so. Yeah, it's a thing. I mean, I did learn some and I had some good conversations. I like the Tapper Wizard party. I thought that was fun. But yeah, we could probably leave that there though. Yeah, there's less Bitcoin people every year, I think is the thing I was gonna say at one point. Hence why oh, yeah. well, there people. There was a there was a tweet about that this week from Lalu, who's uh one of the better lightning uh developers out there. I think he's like CTO of Lightning Labs. 
and also a Bitcoin contributor. And he was tweeting about that, how there was no Bitcoin developers there. It was him and one other guy. And he was like, this is this kind of sucks. Dev culture is dying. And at the same time, we've had basically a pitchfork fight on Twitter this week against drive chains uh, with everyone going after it. Laser eyes are really attacking drive chains now. Uh, as opposed to last week where there was like a little more conversation and pushed around drive chains. People are interested in talking about it more. This week, it like almost got a little violent online with a lot of people coming out being anti-drive chains without even like being able to describe what it is. They just, they don't like it. I think part of that is like Paul is riling people up again. Paul, of course, is the uh, inventor of BIP 301. Like he's, he's definitely riling people up. Maybe Paul, Paul is not far, known for, but, for pulling punches online for sure. No, Paul yeah, Stewart. definitely. He definitely is not. That being said, everyone's going crazy on him right now. And I've seen some terrible, terrible takes, including from a lot of people who have no business like being a part of the conversation and just taking personal jabs at Paul because they they don't like him for whatever reason or they just they want to be in on the group think. Uh, I've seen a few people who absolutely have nothing to do with the situation, just like personal attacks. And I guess that I don't see that happening as much in other cultures, especially Ethereum culture, especially when I've seen like some tough EIPs come around and people have disagreements. It is there, I'm sure, but it's a little bit different in, in Bitcoin culture. You can't get anything anything moving because everything is somehow an attack on Bitcoin and going to ruin their retirement plans. Sorry, that was a little rant there. It's funny because you know the how everybody's Twitter stream is completely different. I didn't see that much about it this week, but what I did see seemed mostly positive. And if anything, it seemed like surprising yeah. amount of momentum was building. So I guess that's my question. Like, do you, do you feel like there's momentum building for it? Like if I put a gun to your head, you know, I'm in Texas, so it's always possible. <laughs> we probably just got censored for that. We did what, just, like, <laughs> just take the show offline. What like what what percentage would you would you give that it happens? I guess ever. I mean, it's probably not going to happen in the next year, no matter what. But I mean, I don't. I don't think in the it'll next happen. two years. Really? Yeah, I think you what's think going it's to happen less than fifty percent. Yeah, no, I definitely think I think there's going to be interest. I think what happens here is there's a lot of interest in the bit process again especially for miners who miners now are actually interested in governance because like a lot of miners came out from China and there's like not really a big language barrier anymore. You know, yet over 30, 30, 40% of hash rate leave China just over here. There's still a hash rate over there, but those people are now like part of the process. Like these big mining companies, they have teams dedicated to understanding Bitcoin governance because they have to, they're going to become more involved. This is going to open up the bit process more. And I think this is actually going to lead to some ZK stuff happening with Bitcoin, like roll up specifically. And I know of multiple people already working on top of this, including like core Bitcoin people, like people who are you know, part of Bitcoin core or part of the lightning teams. So I think that's actually what's happening right here is we're, we're breaking like this crust open and it drive chain might be the thing that opens that up again. And I don't think it's ever going to get passed because I think there's, there's some arguments for more elegant solutions and Ethereum has really led the way in like architecting some of these things that are, are better. And I think Bitcoin could be primed to take that. Now that's my projection of, obviously we are dealing with a lot of people who are not really interested in that. So who knows? Wait, but so you're saying under 50% that it happens ever. So like, do you think it's 10, 25? Mm, I'd say like 15 to 20%. We ever see. Wow. Bit- 300 or 301 activated. 
I think there could be like a world where there's a soft fork and not a lot of people follow along with it. But if you're telling me it's like there's a future Bitcoin core update with BIP 300 and 301 activated and pe- a lot of nodes using it and older nodes listening to it, 10 to 15% chance. Yeah. Surprisingly low. I was going to say somebody, one of my friends sort of jokingly complained that we were talking about Bitcoin too much. And I said, like, look, like it, this whole thing with drive chains might actually happen. And if drive chains actually happens, yeah. then Bitcoin is relevant again. Like Bitcoin yeah. actually does something. And, you know, I don't know, Taproot ended up being more than expected, I guess. Uh, yeah. That's a separate conversation, I guess. Like, is Ordinals really going to make a dent in anything? But uh, yeah, I mean, it's if you think it's not going to happen, that's fascinating. Do we get to break out the hats? That's what I really want to know. <laughs> the wizard hats? No, the UASF hats. <laughs> Trust me, everyone has those hats, including people who are not around then. I wasn't around then. I'm not going to wear one of those hats, but people, people, so that's one of the oddest thing I'm seeing right now. I know we need to get to our other stories, but this is the last thought I have on it. It's so weird to see these guys who, who came into Bitcoin in 2020 during COVID because they were bored online. And they got suckered into the whole culture and they, it became like orange pilled because of like what was going on with COVID lockdowns. And now they're turning back to what happened in the block size wars and they weren't around for any of that. And they're using that to attack drive chains. They're like taking things out of context. I've seen multiple tweets comparing uh, Pulse work to like Mike Hearn or comparing him to Roger Ver. And they're pulling out like facts from that and then applying it to now which is just really sad. Like I understand they're doing that for Twitter engagement, but it's really sad. I wish people had like more appreciation. The fact that like that was a very long time ago and those things do not correspond very well. And they also hurt the fact that like we can't develop Bitcoin very well. There's a big brain drain. Like everyone's involved in Ethereum. And I saw that this week at SBC, right? There's like a handful of Bitcoin people here. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll stop and ranting Paul, on this topic. Paul is a maximalist and his stated yes. goal, which is consistent with his history is basically to beat ethereum by making bitcoin yeah. great again <laughs> with drive chains but yeah fascinating uh, i learned something that you think it's really unlikely to happen i'm actually more bullish on it happening because if somebody outside of bitcoin i actually think miners have more power than most bitcoiners think they do and most bitcoiners think they do so we'll see i don't know i would put yeah. it higher but you know okay. that's my that's my, I'm very outside so I can see the forest and I can't see any of the trees. <laughs> Take. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next topic is Grayscale, you know, also sort of Bitcoin since it's specifically the Bitcoin trust, but it's relevant to everything or the Bitcoin ETF. Should I talk about this one? <laughs> I have a lot of oh, opinions on this one. <laughs> Take this one. This is your moment to shine. The funny thing is, is I have... S- thought about this all day long what i was going to say and of course in, you know sitting here in the spotlight i'm not sure how i'm going to break it down now <laughs> there's so many angles to this that i think are crazy i guess maybe i'll start with a brief summary which is there was a 3-0 opinion in the district court that said the sec is not acting in good good faith and they vacated the sec decision and remanded it to them, which just means it's legal for re- returned. I used to be a legal nerd, worked at Skadden Arps for many years, once upon a time, uh, and uh, 
dropped out of law school because I realized I never wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, but I've spent many thousands of hours on my in my life on securities law and, and things of that nature. That's awful. It was awful, yes, for sure. I'm glad I realized and got out. So there's a lot of like legal nerd things you could say about this. And everybody is, you know, on on Twitter, you know, it pays to be a perma bull, right? Like the way you get an audience, the way you get retweets is by saying number go up and all this sort of thing. And the market moved quite a bit. And, you know, everybody all of a sudden was bullish because we're going to get an ETF. And I know it's not popular to and doesn't help a new podcast gain listeners, but I don't like having read the opinion. I don't really think this means a hill of beans for whether we are going to get an ETF in the long run. I could be wrong. I have relatively medium to high confidence on this, though. Like, yes, it was two Democrats. The the person that wrote it was a was a Republican appointee who wrote a pretty strident anti-SEC opinion. There's a whole background that I have been thinking about whether I should give about how the right has sort of been going after administrative law and the administrative law courts. That is to say, the SEC tries to uh, have their own courts basically decide how to interpret uh, a lot of things that they that they do. And that's true for basically every federal government agency. And the right's been pushing back on that. A lot of the judges that have been appointed by Republicans are pushing back on that. In the end, though, if you read the opinion, although there are a bunch of legal nerd things like per curiam and it was three to nothing and like who the actual panel was and the actual reasoning in the case, the wording used was like very against the SEC. In the end, all they did is send it back to the SEC and say, what you actually have to do is give us any sort of reason because the reason that you gave us is insulting and it looks like you copy pasted it, basically. Mm. And that, and like, even though in legal terms, there is a very low standard for what the courts right now are allowed to overturn, you didn't even meet that standard because you basically just copy pasted other stuff. None of it made any sense. And it's very clear that you guys, whether you took the decision seriously or not, did not take the opinion that you wrote down about what you took the opinion seriously. Yeah. So all Gary has to do, as long as he keeps the Democrats that have voted with him, which is a majority of the commissioners, is just write an opinion. And then most likely, he just keeps denying the ETF. And Mm. then judges are relatively limited in their power of what they can do unless they are really motivated and really feel like like all three of them agree on stuff which may be the case, but may not be the case. Like the opinion was very strident. It actually would have been stronger in favor of the ETF eventually happening if one of the Democrats had written it, because it would have been a much stronger signal that like, oh wait, like like one of the one of the Democrat judges is saying like, no, no, like even like same party basically saying like, you got to do better than this. Now, again, it was a unanimous 3-0 opinion, but... If they come back with an opinion, like with any sort of like reasonable order that denies the ETF, there is a relatively low standard. It's sort of anybody's guess what happens then. And then you got to remember, right? We're only what, like 14 months away from the presidential election and like 17 months away from a new administration if Biden loses. So 
basically all Gensler has to do if he wants to not approve the ETF is just drag this on for 14 months and see if Biden wins. And if he wins, then Gensler is probably good and can keep dragging this on for another four years. If he loses, that's another that's another story. So yeah, my general take is it was a very big blow to Gensler because politics runs on the perception of power. And when the courts come back and say this stuff, it is bad for him. And so it's possible yeah. that one of his Democrat commissioners flips on him. But like all they really have to do probably to maybe win or just drag it out for another 14 months is like write an actual reasoning for why they're not approving this. And like they're lawyers, they should be able to come up with something good. So let me give you the opposite take. Okay, let me give you the bullish take here. They did say, first of all, the judge said it was arbitrary and capricious, which was like the buzzwords of this last week, right? So that was the rationale. They said there was a lack of rationale for it as arbitrary and capricious. And so they put that out there. Then we have some stuff from uh, Eric Balkunas. I think I'm saying it's wrong, his name wrong, but he is the uh, senior ETF analyst for Bloomberg. And they gave a 75% odd that this ETF would be approved by end of year and 95% chance by the end of 2024. Now, of course, this is just like some experts who pay attention a lot to this, giving like a percentage on it, but that's pretty pretty good odds. And with the backing of all these things, feels like something could, could turn here. The last bit that Eric actually points out here is that this ETF uh, news that the SEC was embarrassed in court, that made like mainstream media. So it was an ABC, it was in CNN, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, AP. So it, the fact that it trickled down to all these different branches is a, is a huge PR loss for them. And I think that might be the thing that puts it over the edge. Maybe something You know else. what was a bigger PR loss? A guy that they were supposed to be regulating running a $10 billion Ponzi scheme. And he was the number two yeah. donor to Biden. I mean, I, like in the grand scheme of things, like, yes, this is like a little bit of a PR blow. Uh, yeah. But it like blows over, and like, what was their reaction to like SBF, who you know, getting meetings with Gensler, and you know all that, and then being Biden's number two donor? It, like, what happened is they went after crypto hard, right? And like all of this stuff, you know, there are articles in some of the national media that like this was going to be an orchestrated campaign against crypto from the White House, and I've been slow to realize the great extent to which that has been true, but. It has been true. Yeah. Fundamentally, though, yeah. I've been watching Gary Gensler for like many years. <laughs> I was extremely critical. Like he was the chair of the CFTC back after the financial crisis in 2008. And, you know, I had some people close to me who basically were fighting Gensler on that stuff back in 2009, 2010. And I have never felt like he operates in good faith at all. For a guy who supposedly loves markets and worked for Goldman Sachs, I never got the sense that he really understood this stuff very well. Uh, he definitely didn't really understand how like end end consumers, like people that actually buy derivatives and people that are actually trying to hedge out their risks. He never really understood any of that, as far as I could tell. I mean, at least his public comments were not serious comments that like attempting to deal with any of the issues. They were demagogical, like they were demagoguery at, at best, basically. So I have a low opinion of of Gary Gensler and if that makes you like change your opinion of my opinion of what's going to happen like that's fair but I have never seen him do things which were pro markets 
And frankly, I think he's getting told from the White House that he needs to come down against this stuff. So, and given the last opinion, which the court said was so ridiculously unthought out, to be fair, the reason why it was unthought out is because they just didn't think they had to. It was arrogance, right? But now that they have to think it out, they'll just write down a real opinion. And that's when the court is really going to decide, like, are we doing something or not? I have a fun fact about this here. I know I'm rambling a little bit, but... Fun fact time. Do you know who was fighting Gary Gensler in the Dodd-Frank era? Prominent I do not. person in this space. Not really in this space, but Commissioner Hester Pierce was oh. one of the people fighting against Dodd-Frank and Gary Gensler <laughs> and the stuff that the CFTC under Gensler was was trying to like Gensler was trying to do. She was a staffer on the Senate Banking Committee and uh, helped sort of like fight Gensler. So it's pretty amusing that now she is a commissioner of the SEC where Gary Gensler is the chairman of and is still fighting him to this day, like kind of a thorn in his side. I don't think a lot of people know that, but uh, that is a yeah, fun fact. I, do you, uh, should we get my other fun fact about Gary Gensler? <laughs> I wasn't going to tease it, but you should give the other fun fact for reference. Evan told me this off air when we were like first recording a few weeks ago. It is a very good fun fact. So I'm not making this up, y'all. You could go look it up. Gary Gensler has an identical twin named Bob. If you look up, if you type Bob Gensler into DuckDuckGo, or if you hate privacy, you might use Google and uh, type in Bob Gensler and do an image search. And it's, it's, I mean, they might be 60, but they still look basically identical. But what is interesting is that they have lived very different lives. They've basically been polar opposites on the political spectrum and on the like financial spectrum. Like Gary was on the sell side, basically, and Bob was on the buy side. And Gary wrote a book basically saying investment managers like Bob on the buy side are all scammers. <laughs> So they have like a long history of like very different politics, kind of like different business and financial opinions. My little conspiracy theory, which I actually think is probably relatively probable of being true, is that Bob is the one that got Gary into Bitcoin. And that's why Gary, like because Bob is pretty libertarian. And that's why Gary is pretty Bitcoin friendly, but not friendly to anything else. And you you can see that even if you go like I've I've watched a little bit of his his MIT blockchain class and you can even see it back then. It's basically Gary opining extremely confidently about things that he doesn't really understand very well, but always usually in a pretty Bitcoin friendly way, but not nearly as strident as he is now. This is haunting the fact that he is too. So for listeners, I have a photo up of Robert and Gensler identical. It's it's weird. Yeah, it's it's literally like you put it like you know, you put it into one of these AI generation things and you know, yeah. up, like make a picture of Gary Gensler in a suit and up comes <laughs> another Gensler. Gensler appears. But this one is like helpful and like wants markets to succeed and might even like Bitcoin. Uh yeah, that's that's pretty weird. Uh, yeah, Bob is very libertarian. Him. And I think he actually retired sometime around the fact of like the early Bitcoin days. So I think it's like not okay. impossible at all that he saw what was happening, 
you know, his brother was doing in DC and was like, man, I got to get some Bitcoin. I'm out of here. <laughs> I am out of here. We bought some ETH too. Okay. That was, that was two good fun facts. You bring a lot to the show here. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. We got some other stuff to get to before we, we drop off here shortly. Starkware, uh, Hayden Adams, Uniswap lawsuit thing going on. And then should we do friend tech again? I'll, I'll do the friend tech one. I guess if you've listened to any of our previous shows and you should, you know that racer is a little bit of a character. I think his account is locked right now. He definitely doesn't say anything that needs to be like negative. I don't know what racer's gender or like, I really don't know that much about him. Although I do think it's, I have some evidence that it's him, but it says some things that are maybe slightly on PC um, and then often deletes the tweets. Uh, so maybe it was Monday or Sunday wrote a tweet saying, if you join any of our copycat apps that are trying to vampire attack us, you will lose all your points <laughs> and tough luck. Like we ain't giving them back. And then I don't know the next day, five hours later, eight hours later, wrote another tweet saying, uh, well, I was acting out of fear and now I'm acting out of love. And this is the best thing that we get to do is build Web3 together. And this is all great. So he, he sort of like rugged his own threat like immediately. It's also sort of just like in character for Racer. And yeah, I thought it was like hilarious like the whole way through because it was just like people being different, I think is great. You know, I don't like, I hate when corporations like gaslight me with, like we are improving frequent flyer programs constantly. You know, they like we are upgrading your mileage capability, and it's because they're hyper hyperinflating away your frequent flyer yeah. miles. By the way, fun fact: hyperinflation of frequent flyer miles is a permanent fact. Always spend as fast as you earn them. Like they are anything Bitcoiners say about like dirty fiat is 10x true for frequent flyer miles. <laughs> it really is. I'm not joking. And anyway, I just love I just love that like Racer just does things and then like makes these threats, which I actually think is kind of interesting, you know? Like why does everybody yeah. have to like play fun and like we all love each other? Like again, there's generational wealth on the line, maybe, right? Like I don't know. Yeah. Like I'm I if I invest in somebody, I want them to win, you know? I don't want them to be like love and rainbows, unless it's good for business, in which case there should be love and rainbows, but you know, well, isn't that the Ethereum thing? Yeah, I mean, there's something to that. Okay, uh, I actually have a little bit in what looking at me dubious. The rainbow is like the Ethereum thing. Ethereum is much more competitive than any of us it make is. it out to be. Like, it is. It's not everybody. Just everybody cosplays about how we love competitors. Definitely, people love the fact that people like me are out there saying the things that they feel like they can't, and they send me DMs saying like, "Oh, that's so great! You're saying that like, <laughs> Sequelot is such a scam. Like everybody knows yeah. this, like, but nobody will say it yeah. but you, you know." Yeah, I think you get off on that a little bit, which I appreciate. I think I'm having that moment with Bitcoin right now, but we'll just leave that aside. Uh, so I was actually talking about this last night, this friend tech thing with some people that will remain unnamed. And the conversation actually pivoted to the investors in Frentech, and that being another company that will remain unnamed. And it's for the reasons you just stated that they're basically pushing Razor to like boost stats and boost numbers so that he can dominate everyone. And that's where all that came out of this week, where you know the investment firm behind him is really, really pushing hard. So it's, actually, this is public, isn't it? Yeah, we're not going to say paradigm. <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure if it was public or not. Yeah, and they're pushing. I mean, him a lot to of get people... numbers higher. 
people hate Paradigm for that reason, is they take the entire seed round and lock out every other investor. And, you know, with Sushi Swap, like, you know, there was the vampire attack, the original vampire attack. But then, like, they, you know, Blur, I think they had inv- invested in Blur long before it became an open sea competitor. But then Blur has had a whole bunch of anti competitive stuff with o- open sea, right? Like, the same sort of yeah. thing, which is if you use open sea, we are going to uh, take away all your airdrop or whatever. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I again, like this does not bother me. I like d- did it come from Paradigm? I mean, maybe. Like as an investor, that's like sort of what you tell your people to do is win, right? Like, yeah. I, there does seem they to be a common thread here. But yeah, no, I think uh, there's something there. Racer got a ton of of hate. Yeah, I I think it was a little uncalled for, and you know, walked it back pretty pretty quickly. But I don't know. I just thought it was it was also sort of in character that you know, tweet out big thing walk it back a few hours later delete all the tweets a couple of days later you know like because i went yeah. and looked for them today and i couldn't find them so yeah anyway on to uh, starkware did everything yeah I'll, I'll intro starkware here i only saw this today while i was at the conference so i didn't get to dig into it too much but i will educate the audience who does not know about it and if you do know about it i hope you, you still listen along here so starkware had an update and that update unfortunately did zero out some account balances for people who had not prepared for this update. So according to a tweet as of this morning, account update 0.12.1 was asked for many months ago. And all these individuals who were running on Starkware were asked to update so that their account balances were like noted and stored within Starkware itself. But once this went through, everyone's account balances were going to be changed to the new system. But if you had under a certain threshold, I believe it was like around $500,000, you would not be updated. That led to a situation this morning where a lot of people logged in and saw that they had no money and they got really upset and they you know, burned Starkware online. And then Starkware rolled back the update for these users. I'll leave it there for you to fill in the gaps. The only thought on it for a little color commentary is... That was probably not a very good way to do an update is uh, make sure that everyone's like count balance is good to zero if you're not paying attention. That's, I don't know if I, I love that. You might have a different take on it though. You know, I, I assume that Starkware has some pretty significant server cost, and that's probably why they wanted to bring this down. I So I sympathize from that angle. I am not really familiar enough with their tech to know whether they had any other options. I have lost some money and stuff like this. And like, maybe theoretically there are ways to get it back, but I'd have to like go do some crazy whatever and like find the code and like the blog posts and do stuff because people have taken their front ends down, especially with L2s. Like they take their front ends down and then you're just screwed. Like Aztec did something like this pretty recently and they didn't give people a lot of time either. Kind of similar to Starkware. I, I don't, you know, I think Aztec is a little bit different, which is I think Aztec, you can perpetually go into the contract. And I think there is some guide written somewhere about how to get your money back. Uh, Not that it's going to be easy. Um, But Starkware, I think literally was frozen and you were never going to get your money back, but they have unfrozen it. And so now these people can get their money back. Like I said, like I've lost a decent amount of money on this stuff. And I sympathize with the people that have lost money on the other hand i do feel like starkware has probably been relatively clear that 
this was all very alpha software and not something that you should consider you know you actually had to keep an eye on so i i don't know i don't think this is like the thing to really get your pitchforks up about like earlier i said that like you know the, we had two rugs and re-rugs like if anything it was the opposite here it's like starkware like i mean they didn't really rug but they very quickly also walked it back and unrugged yeah so yeah and twitter online of course is going to be like hey this is a rug immediately but i think this just kind of like brings into into focus the risk spectrum you, you dance on whenever you're touching any of these coins right bitcoin like very simple you can be running a node going back like years that hasn't been updated forever and it's still going to be compatible with the network and as you go along that risk spectrum to like further out l2 is being developed things aren't always going to be there so just be prepared because might not be what you think it is that's my only thought probably probably was a better way to do this than uh, what they did um but yeah you could be right that architecture is a big thing um, what was the last one for today? I think it was Hayden, unless you had any more thoughts on that one. Uniswap. Yeah, we had a big win. Or, you know, again, people are probably overblowing it, which is the there was a class action lawsuit against Uniswap, which was pretty frivolous. And I had never really thought of it as being that serious. And the it got dismissed today. I think probably like similar to the SEC, like the grayscale, like, you know procedural temporary victory over the sec to, like this week is that the the opinion by the judge was actually quite well written and seemed to understand the technology or, uh, like or did understand the technology like based on what was written and the judge gets it you know which is the complete opposite of you know sdny and the tornado cash stuff where they well they probably do get it and they're probably just gaslighting us with all the taking chat messages out of context and twisting facts around. It was good to see that, you know, like the courts are pushing back against the administration's overreaches. So, you know, that's good. I think the only last thing to talk about really is really to say that, you know, Denkun, which I think in a previous episode we talked oh, yeah. about, which should make gas fees significantly cheaper, is probably more towards early December at this point. It's probably the best ETA. So if uh, you care about that stuff, you like to time upgrades, you like to bet on it. My opinion, not that you should bet on it, is that it, it, it's probably early December. Okay. So be prepared for higher gas fees for a little bit. If you're building an L2, no, sorry. No, lower. Oh, yeah, until December. Yeah, right. Until December. And then be ready for abundance and happiness and unicorns and rainbows on Ethereum again. Yeah, but it really actually because I said this a couple of weeks ago on an episode, like gas fees might go low if it if it happens yeah. right before Christmas and New Year's. Like I think it really could drive gas fees on mainnet down quite low very briefly, hmm. especially on a Friday and Saturday night in in the U.S. Hmm. And I don't know it'll be interesting to see. I think people will there will be some drama on Twitter. Data nerds will enjoy it. That's for Maybe sure. I'm wrong. I do like looking at like the heat maps for those things. Okay, cool. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please sub. Give us a rating as well. That actually really helps us out. That's how most podcasts are found. And then share this with a friend if you want to. Also, we have a YouTube that we talked about earlier in the show. We are still trying on that. It could be better, but it is there for engagement. So give us a like and a subscription on YouTube as well. We'll see you guys next week. 